the ninth chapter, verses 2 through 9. Let us listen together for God's word to us this day. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think I've mentioned before that I happen to have very vivid dreams. Sometimes they seem to make zero sense, for they're often a bit strange, and they're full of a million odd details. And other times, as I recall them to myself or others, I can see pieces of my life drawn out before me, and they help me make sense of my world and my emotional landscape. I had a dream earlier this week that I was with some other people, I don't know who exactly, and we were waiting for someone we loved to be released from prison. We were all worried about it. We needed some different furniture to make the new living situation work, and we didn't know if our loved one would be happy to be home and pick up right where we had all left off, or if it'd be a difficult and painful process of readjustment. I decided to take a walk, presumably to clear my head. So I put on my husband's rain boots, as you do in a dream, which, of course, are a few sizes too big, and I started off. Now, I seemed to be walking alone, but I had a conversation partner because I kept asking questions, some of which I got answers to, and others of which just hung in the air. I was asking about the land that I was walking through. What state was I in? Whose land was it? Why was it theirs? As I followed the road up, the questions became more difficult. Why wouldn't the European settlers stop at that river? Why did they think this land could be theirs when it clearly wasn't? What did they have to do to take this place as their own? What is the legacy that I'm part of standing here? I kept following the road, and I began to realize that not only was it getting steeper and the footwear I had on was not the right choice for the moment, but also that the road I was on was spiraling around the edge of a mountain. I looked down, and I saw the place that I had started this walk from so far below. But I kept walking, because somehow I knew, as you magically do in dreams, that at the top of this mountain, There was said to be a sort of rock and roll chapel. That was really gorgeous. And sure enough, as I reached the top, I began 
to hear music. It was some combination of Jimi Hendrix and the Supremes. And I saw a little structure that had a DJ in it playing the record that I was hearing. I looked around and there was a handmade brick and stone circle on the ground similar to the labyrinth here at church. And the light was hitting it in this really incredible way. And I looked farther across the summit and I saw magnificent stained glass windows. I was beginning to walk closer to figure out what the images were in the windows when I heard my husband calling my name. He was a few yards back on the road. And so I walked over to him with the intention of bringing him closer so that he could see all of this cool stuff. And then my alarm went off. In real life, my alarm went off. The alarm I had set for just a bit too early in the morning so I could get up and work on the sermon. Well, I laid in bed for a few more minutes trying to remember all the details and trying to see through the seemingly strange bits for what my brain was processing and what God was trying to tell me through my subconscious. For the last month, the staff here at Fairmount have been using our weekly meeting time to work with Asia Hales, a writer, race educator, and social thinker, an agitator, a member of Forest Hill Presbyterian Church, who's very active there and also active in the Presbytery and has served on national Presbyterian committees. Asia led us through a four-week Zoom course about mental decolonization, helping us to examine social constructs of race, gender, and ability, unpacking our experiences living in our own bodies in the places where we live and where we work, and pushing us to work harder to see, acknowledge, and stop microaggressions that happen to us or around us or that we ourselves initiate. We began each time together with a land acknowledgement. You may have heard of a land of acknowledgement if you've been to a conference or a presbytery meeting in the last few years or if you were at the deacons training this past week. The practice of land acknowledgements stems from indigenous traditions that seek to give thanks for the physical grounding of place and also to name the truth of its history. This one I'm about to read was written by Susan Dominguez for Case Western Reserve University, and it holds true for us here at Fairmount, just a few blocks away. In recognizing the land upon which we reside, we will express our gratitude and appreciation to those who have lived and worked here before us, those whose stewardship and resilient spirit makes our residence possible on this traditional homeland of the Lenape, Delaware, Shawnee, Wyandotte, Miami, Ottawa, Potawatomi, and other Great Lakes tribes, Chickawa, Kickapoo, Wea, Pinkashaw, and Kiskiska. We also acknowledge the thousands of Native Amer of Americans who now call Northeast Ohio home. Case Western Reserve University and the greater Cleveland area occupy land officially ceded by 1,100 chiefs and warriors 
signing the Treaty of Greenville in 1795. That's a lot to sit with. And then add on the grief that we've been experiencing as a Fairmount family. In the last few weeks, we have learned of the deaths of several longtime members of this congregation, people whose lives were woven into the fabric of this community and the greater Cleveland community. And we find ourselves somewhat stunted in our process of grief by not being able to be together, by not reaching out and holding each other's hands or giving a hug, actions that allow the grief to flow through us and find an outlet and connection to others experiencing the same. And because Jesse and I are newer here, we don't know all the long histories and connections and stories and so feel at a loss as to how to reach out and comfort and offer presence because we can't just look out on Sunday morning and see who is grieving. This is all happening while we rejoice that there is a vaccine to be shared, but are needing to ask a lot of questions. Questions about who and how and when people will get it. Will it be distributed in an equitable manner? Will those who need it the most have easy access? It's clear to me that with this dream, my brain was trying trying its best to lead me up and out of all the things I'd experienced just in the past week, to lead me through the layers of concern about the prison industrial complex and the stealing of land from indigenous people, lead me right out and to the top of the mountain to relax with some Jimi Hendrix and some Supremes and some sunlight. And then the alarm rang. And it was like, uh, hello, Lindsay, we need you down here in the real world. I didn't want to wake up because the real world is so full of worries and concerns and grief. It can seem overwhelming. Friends, all these things seem overwhelming because they are overwhelming. But it's kind of like the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 in the Gospel of Luke. Right? The disciples come to Jesus and say, send all these people away because they're hungry. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. And they say, what are you talking about? There are 5,000 people here. We can't feed them. And Jesus says, have them sit in groups of 50 and start there. Jesus is saying, break the problem down into smaller parts that you can handle and then go from there. Because when you break the problem down into smaller pieces, the working out of those pieces leads to a solution. The 5,000 get fed. We are followers of Jesus, which means we need to follow Jesus to where he's needed the most. And where he is needed the most is not on the top of the mountain. It is right down here. There is work to be done on the ground Problems that need to be broken up into smaller, more manageable pieces so that we can actually work through them to engage and enable greater change and transformation. 
It's great that the disciples got to see Jesus on all his radiant glory, got to see him in the midst of Elijah and Moses, those other prophetic people who had been touched by the divine. It's great that they had that mountaintop experience that they want to linger in. But Jesus is clear. The alarm is ringing. It is time to wake up. They are all needed at the bottom of the mountain, back down in the valley. I need Jesus. We need Jesus here in the midst of this holy mess we are living in. I brainstormed with my older son some of the things that we need Jesus's help with. In about two minutes, we came up with this list. We need him to help sort out the criminal justice system, to reverse the effects of climate change, to stop endangered species from going extinct, to make there not be as much gun violence, that's word for word from his mouth, to give more money to the teachers, to establish real racial equity and equitable practices, to get rid of corona. That was just two minutes. Imagine what we could do with five. It's amazing to have a mountaintop experience. And it's natural that we'd want to linger in it. But as followers of Jesus, we need to use those mountaintop moments to fuel the rest of our lives. We can't all be on the mountain at the same time. We need to cycle ourselves up and down so that together we can respond to the needs of the world. Together we can find moments of rest and peace. Together we can be re-energized for the work before us. And we can't do any of that without Jesus at our side, leading us, reminding us, encouraging us, pushing us, comforting us, giving us rest, and challenging us once again. Now, in the moments just before this passage, Mark tells us that Jesus had been telling the disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And three days later, rise again. I can imagine this was a bit difficult for them to hear, for them to comprehend. Denial probably kicked in pretty quick. Nobody, nobody wants to hear that the person they love is going to die. And yet the reality for living as Jesus lived, for loving the outcast and the sinner, for upending societal norms, for flying in the face of the powers that be, all of that results in loss and pain and the death of our old selves, of old structures, of oppressive systems. After Mark tells his disciples that he will not be with him much longer, he also tells them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, will save it. But it takes a cloud overshadowing them for the disciples to get quiet and focused enough to hear the voice of God and begin to listen.
Now, I don't know where you are right now, if you're up on the top of a mountain or in a cloud or down at the bottom of the valley, but I know that we have work to do. Following Jesus is not for the faint of heart, and neither is living in these days. So let us remember on this Valentine's Day, not the romantic love that we may or may not be currently experiencing, but let us remember the deep and real and life-transfiguring love of the God who sent a son, a beloved son. And let us listen to him. Hallelujah and amen. Thank you.